My name's Andy. I teach creative writing at the University of York, and I've published children's fiction under the pseudonym A.P. Winter. I often meet students who don't believe writing a children's novel or picture book is possible for them, either because they haven't written much in the past, or because the task poses so many daunting questions, not least where to begin. With these podcasts, I want to create a space where these questions are answered, and hopefully show that while it takes time and effort, writing children's fiction is something that's accessible to everyone. For this week, I wanted to start with a simple question, one that, nevertheless, can be challenging, even for experienced writers. The question is, what is a story? If you have any apprehensions about this topic, it might put you at ease to hear one of my earliest attempts at a story, back when I was five years old. It went something like this. One day I was made very small. The grass was tall. I rode on the back of a rabbit. Then I was big again. I've come to realise that this is a bad story. In fact, it shows an almost admirable contempt for everything a story should aim to achieve, and even my frightening, unhinged attempt to draw a rabbit on the centre page cannot redeem its sense of pointlessness. I forget what the teacher made of it, but I can only hope I was punished accordingly. About seventeen years later, I was asked to sum up what a story is in a single sentence. I was at university and the question was posed by a former Hollywood screenwriter while he balanced precariously on the back legs of his chair. He did this, I assume, to feel the hand of death on his shoulder and as a reminder to the room that anything we said could not pique his excitement in quite the same way. The class consisted of people who'd studied writing or theatre or filmmaking for three years or more, and even I had made some better attempts at prose fiction since the ill-conceived rabbit story. But, much to his amusement, none of us had a good answer. So, what was the ideal response? The professor put it like this, A story is someone wants something and has trouble getting it. It might not sound grammatically correct, and maybe it isn't, but in zoomed-out terms, it describes all stories. And when you're working on an idea, being able to sum it up in this way is really useful. It ensures that you have something simple and relatable at the heart of your tale, and it helps you spot the important elements to emphasise throughout the story. Who your main character is, what they want, and why they have trouble getting it. So, why is it useful to be able to summarise your story in this way? To answer that, we need to talk about the idea of the logline. Loglines, or elevator pitches, consist of a single sentence. They sum up what's special about your story, and they're used to pitch an idea to agents or publishers but they're also useful at the very beginning of the writing process. 
Hopefully you'll remember about 20 seconds ago when I mentioned the idea of every story being about someone wanting something and having trouble getting it. That's a good start, but beyond that there are some other key attributes we can look for in a good logline. I've adapted these ideas from Blake Snyder's book, Save the Cat, so if you find them interesting, you might want to give it a closer look. The first thing to look for is a compelling mental picture. By this we mean the basics. Who, when, where, what. But also just a couple of details that prompt us to think how the story is going to turn out. This doesn't have to be anything complex. Let's say part of our logline is, a boy's world is turned upside down when he meets a ghost. The ghost part is interesting, perhaps, but beyond that we're not picturing any consequences to the story. What about, a shy boy meets an adventurous ghost? Now what are you picturing? Something about how the ghost is going to encourage him to go on adventures, how they'll face dangers together, how they might argue about things, how the boy might find confidence by the end. By adding two words, you've laid down this bait for the imagination without needing to describe anything more. In summary, it seems obvious, but it's so easy to start writing a novel which doesn't have that special something about it, which doesn't make people think, ah, there's a story here. And if that's missing from the logline, it's missing from the whole project. The second thing to think about is irony. By this we mean a situation at odds to what we might ordinarily expect, or in terms of dramatic irony, a situation in which we're aware of something that characters might not be. Irony is like the baseline in songs. Once you know it's there, the effect is obvious, but if you don't think about it, you only experience the feeling. Another similarity is that if you don't understand what people mean by irony in stories, you find yourself nodding and saying, Yes, I can hear it without ever actually understanding what people are talking about. That's why we should look at some examples. Let's think about blurbs. I enjoy saying the word blurb because, like the word car, it clearly gives away the sense that I am from Scunthorpe, however else I may try to disguise it. Here's a bit of blurb from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Charlie Bucket can't believe his luck when he finds the very last of Mr. Willy Wonka's golden ticket inside his chocolate bar. He wins a magical tour around Willy Wonka's famous chocolate factory and sees the most amazing creations. Rainbow drops, whipple scrumptious fudge mallow delight, lickable wallpaper, and even a river of melted chocolate. We might know this is a fun story with lots of challenges and conflict, and interesting characters. But it's no thanks to this logline. First of all, it's too long. If this is an elevator pitch, the publisher got off several floors ago, and you're now talking about lickable wallpaper to the delivery person. It is unduly focused on non-story details, such as different types of chocolate, 
and skips over any trace of conflict. As a summary, it's a bit like saying Heart of Darkness involves a nice boat ride. In terms of time and place, I suppose we have a sense of where Charlie is going, but beyond that, things are a bit hazy. What details are missing about Charlie to make him the most interesting person to go on this journey to a land of riches? Well, what about this? Charlie is good, honest, selfless, dependable, and he's also very poor. If we know he's poor, we know that the stakes for Charlie couldn't be higher, and if he's good, well, we know whose side we should be on. That's a start, but what's missing here, most of all, is the ironic part of the whole thing. Chocolate tours seem like they should be nice, especially when they're a prize for a child. But Willy Wonka's chocolate factory is not a nice place to visit, and Willy Wonka is not the sort of person who should be left to arrange magical tours for children. He is beyond eccentric, and his factory is an elaborate mousetrap designed to ensnare the unwise. Let's read the logline again and see if we get any sense of this. Charlie Bucket can't believe his luck when he finds the very last of Mr. Willy Wonka's golden tickets inside his chocolate bar. He wins a magical tour around Willy Wonka's famous chocolate factory and sees the most amazing creations, and so on. Any sense of who Willy Wonka is from this? Any sense of what's ironic about the situation? I don't think so. Finally, what does Charlie want? What's stopping him getting it? In this current logline we have four types of silly chocolate, and no mention of the point of it all. It might seem like we're stating the obvious, but actually this is the kind of plan which emerges again and again when we don't have a clear sense of what story is. It's easy to fall into the trap of believing the world of our story, or the magical things in it, are the only interesting part, while forgetting that we need a character and a problem to orientate around. What if we had something like this? An honest boy from a poor family wins a visit to a wildly eccentric chocolatier's factory, where he and a group of grotesque contestants face a series of morality tests for the ultimate prize. It's not perfect, loglines never are, but I hope you can hear the chimes of the story ringing through the words this time. There are things to picture, things at stake, consequences emerging, people who create conflict. In short, we have a story. However appealing, we find the sound of fudge mallow delight. This is probably a better approach. Now, obviously, with this example, there's already a great idea for a story behind it. It just hasn't been presented in a particularly interesting way. But if you have an idea floating around in your head, trying to put it into a logline is a great way of testing it out, without needing to write a whole novel first. You can sense, pretty quickly, whether it has a clear main character, goal, problem, and you can start to enhance details which allow a reader into the story and encourage them to imagine what 
might happen next, including this clear mental picture and a sense of irony. Ah, but my story is different. I've heard this argument before, and I'm sure I've been guilty of making it myself. It usually follows these lines. My story doesn't need those things. It's about a lot of characters in a place where everything is different, and the sheer joy of exploring this world, which, by the way, has some important things to teach us about our own world, is incomparable to other stories. As such, I do not need a main character, or anything so base as a purpose. Because, you see, and this is said with a trace of pity, my story is different. The biggest irony is that this argument only works under the condition that you are the main character in the story of life, and that the rest of the real world is unimportant. It's an approach that might pay off for a celebrity, once a publisher has taken the time to coax them in the right direction, and put a good editor to work. But for everyone else, it's probably best to be a little more humble, and a little more aware of the reader. It might seem uncomfortable to begin with, but sharing your ideas with people, especially just in logline form, is a great way of getting an immediate response to your stories. People often have useful questions about things you may have overlooked, or they might have their own ideas about where they see the story going. Even early on in the process, it helps ground you in the idea that at some point, someone else is going to read your work. When I'm doing writing events, there are usually lots of questions, and when children have finished asking whether I know David Williams, or why I look so tired, they begin to ask what I'm working on next. I use this as a chance to pitch a logline to them. At an event in Scarborough, I told the children about an idea involving a library run by monsters. They acted so enthralled that, with the usual confidence of a writer, I decided they must be making fun of me. I didn't realise until later what was really going on. The school had just received funding for a library of their own. For the first time since those children had started school, they would have access to a wide selection of free books just down the corridor. That's when I decided that the monster library idea had to be put on paper. Thinking about why you're writing the story is important. At some point, you are going to be the person who has to present the text to the world. You don't have to be some thrilling adventurer to pitch an adventure story, or a prince to talk about royalty. But if you are a Texas oil baron, you're not the ideal person to give a message about living in harmony with nature, no matter how good your ideas are. Finding something honest at the heart of your idea, something that relates to you, or some subject which you can show people the magic of just through your sheer enthusiasm, is critically important too. Be confident in what you have to share. Marion Williamson puts it best. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light not our darkness that most frightens us. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking 
so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. It's a good idea to have one place to write down your ideas. I say this knowing that I'm a hypocrite, uh, looking around a desk which is covered in scraps of notes, all bearing a handwriting which a child at a book signing once described as worm scribble. It's also a good idea to write down things you admire in other people's writing. This can be anything from a line of dialogue to the shape a story takes. It doesn't mean much to begin with, but as you jot down more notes, every detail creates a profile of the kind of story you want to write and the type of writer you want to be. You'll notice I haven't mentioned titles for stories. After a lot of time thinking about it, I've decided it's easier to think of a good title and write a story around it than it is to write a good story and then think of a title. We'll talk more about titles another time, but for now just bear in mind that if a good title strikes you, it's probably time to sit down and write a logline for it. That's it for this episode. All aspects of this podcast were created by me, A.P. Winter. Shuffling and scratching noises in the background were created by my cat, Freddy. If you need to reach me about something, you can find me on Twitter under A.P. Winter and at my website, apwinterauthor.com. Thanks go to Michael Langsfield, the professor who sat so dangerously on his chair and taught me so much, and to Blake Snyder and his brilliant book, Save the Cat, for ideas around loglines. Next time, we'll be talking about plot and about making money as a writer. I hope you'll join me then.